I think a lot of people interpret it as like all or nothing. Either my house is clean or it's a hot mess and there is no in between. So recognizing the shades of gray, that it's not all or nothing. It's not this pristine, you know, home edit, beautiful thing or this hot mess borders. Like it's not one or the other, that there's shades of gray. Hey there, I'm Renee, a self-proclaimed shopaholic turned minimalist. In just three years, my family and I downsized our house, paid off debt, and I learned to make passive income online so I could work anytime, anywhere. We did all of this in pursuit of a life of more freedom, flexibility, and fun. And the crazy part is, the more I detached from my stuff, the more I was able to let go of pesky habits like people-pleasing, saying yes to everyone, and being who I thought I was supposed to be rather than showing up authentically as who I am. That's why I want you to see the Unstuffed podcast not as a place for all things decluttering and organizing, but rather as a place where together we can unload it all. From donating those pants that no longer fit to bidding adieu to those relationships that have run their course, I want you to see our time together as a time where you can unwind, let go, come as you are, and there is no need to apologize for the mess. So let's shed some layers, drop some dead weight, and start living a little less stuffed. Welcome to the Unstuffed Podcast. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for being here. I'm really excited to dive into our conversation today. I know this is going to be so beneficial to so many people. Uh, But before we kind of dive in, do you want to give a quick intro and tell everybody a little bit about you? Yeah, so I'm Stephanie Rosenfield. I am a mom coach and pediatric speech therapist. And I sort of, I started my career as a pediatric speech therapist. So I had this background in early childhood development. And during that time, I was working with really young kids and their families going into their homes. And what I noticed when I was entering the homes was that these kids needed a lot of support, which they were getting. But there was this like missing link between the support that the children needed and the lack of support that the parents, especially moms, were not getting. So fast forward to me becoming a mom myself. And I like to say, like, I thought I had this whole thing like under wraps. I'm like, I have a background in early childhood development. I was a speech therapist. I work with kids. Like I am going to, I'm going to be awesome at this mom thing. And I I wasn't, (laughs) I remember just feeling so overwhelmed and frustrated and getting annoyed over things that I had never gotten annoyed before, like dishes in the sink or crumbs on the floor. And there was this specific moment. There were many little moments, but this is one that keeps in my like uh, videotape in my mind. My son must've been, and he's six now. He must've been about like 18 months. And he was sitting there with this like toy truck and he kept pushing it at me. Like he wanted something that he couldn't communicate. And I was trying to help him figure it out using all my strategies and, and nothing was working. He was getting more and more frustrated. And I felt so much. I think it was anger or annoyance in the moment that I just lost it. I screamed and I felt so terrible after. And again, this wasn't the only moment that that happened, but it was a moment where afterwards I sort of sat in the bathroom with my head in my hands. And I was like, something needs to change. Like, I I don't want to keep going on like this. This isn't the mom I want to be. This isn't the motherhood that I want. 
And time kept going on, you know, from the outside, maybe you would follow me on Instagram and be like, she's killing it. Like the pictures of me smiling with my kids, but internally things weren't getting better. And the only advice that I had was all of these experts, right? On social media, try this, try that. And the comparison to to other moms of, oh, maybe I should be doing it this way or that way, which just led to more of me not feeling like I was enough. So that's sort of when I fell into the coaching sphere. It was so, it was the missing link for me. I got certified. I went through a year-long certification program to become a life coach. And then another 10-month certification program to become like a nervous system practitioner to help pair the brain and the body. And so what I did in my own life and with over 50 clients now was combine the background in early childhood development with those other tools to help myself and other moms enjoy motherhood more. Oh, that's amazing. And so cool that you could take that kind of big struggle that I think a lot of us moms face. You know, I think it's so common for people to say, that we knew everything about parenting before we became a parent, right? And exactly, uh, I, I love that you recognized it and chose to do something about it. And I am seeing this movement happen more, more, you know, aware, more conscious parenting is happening, and it's so cool to be a part of. It really is. Um, and so, one of the things that I'm excited to talk to you about is you have something you say is minimum enoughness. Yes. And I want to know all about it. Where did you, how did you come up with this? What is it all about? Let's, let's dive in. Yeah. So one of the thing I noticed in motherhood and after coaching client after client was this unrealistic or this ideal that we try to live up to our to-do lists, our half dues. And oftentimes we're not even choosing it ourselves. We're seeing, scrolling through social media or Instagram and seeing this perfectly organized pantry or this lunch bento box that has all these homemade star sandwiches and all these different things. And it just grows our to-do list. It grows the things I should be doing. I have to be doing. And yes, there are things like we need to go to the grocery store, Um, I have to do the laundry, but how I work with clients is to have them define each day or overall, what is my minimum enoughness? An example of that is I had a client who, before she would go to bed, felt the need to, she's like, I have to clean. I have to clean the first floor. It's such a mess. I can't go to bed without the entire first floor being cleaned. And she was spending like 45 minutes and then going upstairs exhausted, just zoning out on TV and not going to bed till like, you know, 1am. And I asked her, I'm like, what do you want to be doing at that time? She's like, well, I'd rather be reading a book, listening to some calming music, maybe watch a show and go to bed. So we decided, okay, what is your, what is your enough for that first floor? What is your minimum enough? And she came up with, she's like, if the sink is empty and things are in the dishwasher, that is enough. The other things I can get to. And that also comes with a conversation that I have with a lot of clients is we're so focused on the cleaning, that immediate sort of dopamine hit or this gratification that we get. And I work with moms to sort of redefine what the, the quote unquote, using air quotes, mess means. Because having a home filled with kids and a family automatically means that there are going to be things 
There's going to be papers. There's going to be toys. And that is family. That is home. Having stuff, having things on the floor. And now a mess doesn't equal mold and dirt, right? This isn't like, oh my gosh, I'm living in squalor. But it's the idea of, of course, there are some things that are going to be on the counter or on the floor because I have a family. Yeah. Oh, I relate to that on such a deep level because that was a big aha moment for me too, as a mom. It was like midnight. I had a daughter in school and we've got two older kids, two older girls who are now out of the house, but one of them was in school. I had two little ones, like probably two under two at the time. And it was midnight and I found myself, I was still like bent over picking up toys and I was so tired, but the voice in my head was telling me like, you got to pick it up. You got to pick it up. You got to, you know, you got all clean. And I just stopped and I was like, nope. (laughs) no, like I I can't be doing this. It was so tiring. So I love that concept of what's, what's enough. Yeah. And it can change for different times in your life when you have little kids versus older kids right now for me, it's funny. All my clients know this. I have a bin of clean laundry in my closet that I just pick out of, and maybe I put it away once a month right now. I, I don't put away my clean laundry and I go, and that's enough for me. And that is fine. And it, it goes with, and I really highlight this for people. What are your likes and dislikes? Some people may really enjoy making those bento boxes being creative, right? That's And some people may enjoy, I don't know, some of these other things. So it's thinking about what are the things that I like, or I want to be doing? What are the things I want to be doing less of? And what is my minimum enoughness? And this can go with work too, uh, you know, moms with careers. When you're, I have moms who are, you know, let's get, like, rushing in the morning, getting their kids to, right? Me too, getting their kids to school and then all the things that they have to do that day. If in that morning you can just sit down before you start your work and you're like, what is my minimum enoughness for work today? And this may change each day based on your job. What, what are the things that if I get done, can pat myself on the back and be like, yep, that was enough. Yes. That's been so huge. And that's kind of me today. I'm like, all right, bare minimum. And I, I call it my, your term is so beautiful. I call it half-assing. I'm like, I'm going to start half-assing my life. Um, but I want to touch on something you said, cause I, it just really clicked in me. It was, you know, the people who like the bento boxes, the people who love doing that. I feel like I've always loved cooking. I'm someone who loves the process of cooking. But for so many years, I put that have to, have to, have to, should, you know, that I lost the joy of it because it became something had to do. And I put this pressure behind it. And if I never would have done that, you know, I'm trying to rework now and to get back to just enjoying the process. While sometimes other days it's that minimum enough, like today it's just pizza. That's what it's gotta be, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love, and I love that too. Figuring out something that you once enjoyed. And I hear that from so many clients also. I I loved cooking and now it feels tedious. And it makes sense. You make these things for these little people who sometimes eat some of it and sometimes eat none of it. And it's right. Like it it makes sense. So how can I, how can I, how can I find joy from this now? Like what is a small way? And some days you will, and some days maybe you won't, but it doesn't mean overarching that it won't ever happen again. Right. Right. And so good in the sense, like, uh, you know, saying that you've got your clean laundry basket. I was taking a walk the other day and I was thinking about how, like you said, the phases and the changes of life, 
I used to teach preschool. And one of the things I remember telling moms was like, maybe the kid came into preschool and they knew the whole alphabet. But then as we went through preschool, they started learning shapes or they started learning colors and they'd forget some of the alphabet. They'd forget a few letters, you know, because life isn't just like as linear as we think it is. It's, it was like, but they're, they're going to remember the alphabet will come back. It's just that because we're learning something new, they're doing something new. It kind of ebbs and flows, you know? And I think that same thing goes with our lives, especially as moms, as working moms, as whatever. That's such an incredible point to make. And and it really, I love how you related it to the kids in preschool. And it made me think of a client that I have. And she, for the past 15 years, has been on this upward, you know, this trajectory in her career that she just got on board with when she was 22. And it was her life for so long. And now she's having this moment where she has three kids and she feels so much like that she's slacking or that she's failing because she's not living up to the same ideal. And what she's starting to realize is that her values, her motivations, her ambitions have changed versus the 22-year-old that she was when she decided this career path, when she wanted to read the Wall Street Journal every day and versus instead of shaming herself for thinking, what's wrong with me? Where did my ambition go? I'm not as good as these other people climbing up the ladder it's recognizing maybe my values have just changed right now. And what I want to be doing or how I want to be, be contributing is changing and nothing's wrong with me. It's just an, it's just a different ebb and flow based on who I am now. Absolutely. And that's a, something I've kind of observed is the people that I was always comparing myself to, and I'm never in a judging way, never in a judging people, but people I would compare myself to like, oh my gosh, she's further along in her career and she's younger than me, you know, or whatever it might be. But then you see like um, something go wrong in their life, you know, where that person goes through a divorce or struggles through something and you're going, wow, like they were building this up. And that's what all I was paying attention to is this amazing part of their life. When in reality, they were struggling in a different area of life. And I was maybe thriving in that area where they were struggling. And, you know, like we're all just figuring this thing out. Yes. Um, yes. Yes. I, I, and it, it's so true. And I think that if something that the listeners or that I do, my clients do can take away is if you're feeling that shame or that failing, it's defining for yourself in a given day or a given week, what is my minimum enoughness? What is my minimum enoughness for a clean first floor before I go to bed? right? I'll know that if I just climb over this clean clothes bin and sit and read the rest of my book in bed, that I'm going to be a happier mom, which therefore will rub off on the people around me. Oh, absolutely. So how do you help someone let go of that? Because I think that was me when I said I was picking up the toys at the end of the night, because I had gotten used to being someone who could maintain a clean, organized home when I had a daughter who was in school all day you know, and it was just the one. And then all of a sudden I have three and two who are home all day trashing everything. It's very different. So to expect myself to be able to do the same thing I could do when I had a completely different life, a completely different plate, you know, it's how do you help people let go of that idea of still have to be who we once were? I really love that. And I think it's, again, recognizing so a couple of things. One, it's it's not the, I think a lot of people interpret it as like all or nothing. Either my house is clean or it's a hot mess and there is no in between. So recognizing the shades of gray, that it's not all or nothing. It's not this pristine, you know, home edit 
beautiful thing or this hot mess borders. Like it's not one or the other, that there's shades of gray. And being able to one part of it, I think one part of it is the opinions that we have, that self-talk, that story about the mess or the house. It the people in here don't respect me. No one listens when I say clean. It's a hot mess. I have to do everything around here. They are going to grow up and be slobs. And so it partly it's that internal dialogue, which creates a lot of angst and annoyance and frustration for us. So if you can ask yourself and recognize, okay, what else could be true here? Which is sort of what I was talking about in terms of part of having a home with kids is there being stuff places and that's not good or bad. It's not terrible. It's thinking, you know, if you zoom out 40 years from now, when everyone's out of the home and your house is clean, you'll be looking back and being like, remember those days we had this house with these kids. And I was coaching a client on this. She couldn't move past her pantry. Her kids would go in and things would be everywhere and pulled off the pulled off the shelves. And we really talked about how having a home with kids means, um, I don't want to say mess, but means like chaos and stuff and fun, like fun is being had. Love is around. I know that may sound a little cheesy, but all these other things are happening with all of this chaos and this family. Like this means family. And she actually got a little bit of teary eyed because she's like, I never thought about it that way. This is memories being made. This is home. This is us. This is family. So in the moments, part of it is that story of this is normal. This is to be expected. Of course, there are going to be things on the floor. Of, of, of course. And again, this isn't to say that you everything becomes a hoarder's dream, but it's to recognize part of this is normal. And what is my expectation of myself? For example, in my home, our basement, I just let things be. I let things be. And every couple of weeks we have, I, I, we do have a cleaning service come every couple of weeks and I, I just let them pick it up. And I have to clean for the cleaning people. I'm like, but you know, I'm not saying again, leave this like huge, whatever, but I just don't look at the basement and I know that that's their place. And every, you know, everyone said, we'll all do it together. We'll put on a fun song and clean together. But part of it is in, is just, this is part of having young kids right now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that's what I, I was thinking that when you said, you know, that idea, like I have to do it all. I have to do it all. I have to do it all. I think if we let go of that, I don't have to do it all. And I like, when you say, the pantry. I think of my son leaves wrappers all over the coffee table all the time. And I I feel like I could either have that, I, that option where I pick it up and I'm like, roll my eyes and I grunt. And I tell myself that nobody cares and it's just me. And I'm so sick of this. Or like, I've had to physically like uncrumple the wrappers from my hand and drop them and be like, he's picking that up. (laughs) Like, and saying like, clean up, clean this up pick it up because it yeah. doesn't have to just be me, you know, yes. and it shouldn't be. it's not my mess. Yes. And I love that you bring that up, including your kids in this. Cause I think for a lot of us, we're used to efficiency. We can do it quicker. We can get it done the way that we want versus entering this push and pull or this thing with the other family members or our kids. That's going to you know, become a tug of war. But, and part of what I teach too, is what I like to call like effective communication It's how can we effectively communicate with those around us 
And if you think about it, how would you want someone to ask you to clean up a wrapper, right? Maybe make some eye contact, touch them on the shoulder, like a, hey, do you mind, right? Like not this inter- like immediate, like, oh my gosh, they're doing this on purpose or they're, they're, they're such slobs. It's that, how can I teach them the skill? Because it is a skill. How can I teach them the skill of cleaning up after themselves? How can I make that a family expectation? I love that. And I love that you said even touching them on the shoulder, like effective communications. That's that's so good. I'm like trying to think. Because versus, you know, like pick up your mess. You're so disgusting. You know, like yelling that kind of thing versus like, remember, you know, like I feel like I do like, remember when we leave stuff on the, you know, the coffee table, we pick it up. But uh, I also love that you said that, and I, I want to say this too, is, you know, it is really difficult. I feel like letting go of those things like we're talking about, but um, when my, when my daughter was little, she always wanted to help me clean. So she would get the spray bottle. She was like two and she'd make a bigger mess. And it was always a bigger mess for me to clean up. But I really wanted to get her to that point where it's like, she's wanting to help me clean. I should probably encourage this as a good thing. And I feel like it's really made a huge impact that they, they actually help. And then they forget about the occasional things here and there, but they're willing to. And I'm so thankful that I went through that ick phase where it was a little bit more difficult because now it's so much easier, especially when life yeah. is busier now. Yeah. Right. And it makes sense, right? It's, it's a control. Like it's easier. It, it, we feel more at ease when we're in control. And I had this experience a couple of weeks ago with both my kids took these sponges and started like sponging everything. And a big part of me where it was like, oh my gosh, they're be making a bigger mess. But the other part of me talked back to that and said, it's not a big deal. You'll be able to dry off of the paper towel, the mess that they make. This is them wanting to contribute. And I hear this from clients too. Like I, I can't bake with my kids because it just becomes a bigger mess. And it makes me feel, it's that out of control feeling where you don't have control. So being able to use that self-talk to recognize this is normal. It's okay. We can just wipe it up. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I currently have a countertop covered in flower spatterings, um, which is funny. Like, I'm so glad I'm talking to you right now. Cause I feel like this is, um, something I was unintentionally applying to my mindset lately when it comes to cleaning the house, working from home, um, and keeping a clean house is something I always kind of had that inner dialogue of it has to be clean. I cannot work in a dirty space. I can't. And lately it's been like, right. The dishes, like I, I want the countertops cleared, like the, you know, flat surfaces cleared, but ultimately like my cutting board is still out. There are a few dishes in the sink. Cause that's my daughter's chore for the day. And you know, like, and I've realized that I'm capable of doing a few things at night rather than like cleaning, spending my whole day. I would spend an hour cleaning the house before mm-hmm. I got to work and would be taking up so much my, and then I'd be frustrated because I had to clean the whole house and I didn't, yes. I didn't need to bring all of that to my day. <laughs> I love that you brought that up because I think a lot of us are dealing with this new hurdle of we're working from home more and we're in our home. So when we go downstairs for lunch, it's not just like a lunch break. It's look at, you're looking around and noting all of these things. And one of the recommendations I have for that, that I worked with a client with, I think last year, it was setting aside, all right, kids are on the bus, kids are gone. How long are you going to give yourself to do the essential things? And beyond that, that's it until the sort of what you said, the nighttime. So she decided she's going to give herself 25 minutes from like, you know, nine to nine twenty-five, where she was going to 
do the essential things, wipe down the counter or whatever it was that she wanted to do. And she reported back that it was actually really freeing to have that time scheduled there versus cleaning while the kids were there, cleaning at lunchtime, because she knew this is the time that I have to tidy up. Right. And do you, I like, feel like um, it's almost kind of giving yourself that permission, like, I don't have to. Yeah, I can take 20 minutes and that's that's going to be okay. Yeah. You know, uh, I think that mindset can be so helpful. And I, I feel like, um, I don't know how I'm trying to find the right words here, but like before me, like when in that like perfectionist mode where you're going, okay, I'm going to do it like this. I'm going to live my life on a schedule and blah, 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 you know, that type of thing versus going, do you know what I'm saying? Like you can have that 20 minutes and make it a really stressful thing. Or you can take that 20 minutes and make it a really freeing thing. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Yes. I feel like I used to be the person who made it the stressful thing. Me too. And yeah, yeah. Just kind of giving yourself that permission. Like this is all I have to do. I've got whatever can get done in 20 minutes. It's all good. And And I think I might have to apply that because I kind of work to tidy things up, but maybe giving myself a time limit would be a great way to just make sure I can give myself permission to move on with my day. Yeah. And it's going to be okay. Right. It's okay. Whatever I don't get done. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I found. It's not as awful as I always imagined it would be, you know, yeah. the house was messy. It was such a big deal. I had to clean it. And then when they came home, I was extra stressed because they messed up the house I had cleaned. It was clean all day when it was just me. And now I'm going, you know what? If I see crumbs on the floor, I vacuum them. And then I put the vacuum away and move on with it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like this is right. Like there's almost like nothing has gone wrong that this is happening. This is part of having, this is a part of a home with kids. Right. Right. Uh, and that's, uh, I still, I think I struggle with that mentality sometimes. Uh, like when you say someday the kids will be grown up and it'll be gone and your house will be clean. And I think, I don't think I'll miss the mess. <laughs> I don't feel like, um, I don't know if there'll be any part of me that's looks back and is like, oh, I wish I had some wrappers to pick up. (laughs) (laughs) Or just like the chaos of the kids, right? Like the backpacks, the this, the that, like it can be viewed as, and again, it doesn't need to feel good. Like, it's not like this has to feel good. It's still, it's okay that it feels frustrating or annoying. I'm not, you know, I don't think it's a realistic expectation to be like, I love this. This is (laughs) awesome that there are books and toys and papers everywhere, but it's almost like, this is just part of it. Right. Right. It can be kind of a neutral thing. It just, it just is. This is just part of it. And I can, we can talk as a family, depending on your kids' ages and your partner and all of that. How can we work together to like have a home that we all want to be in? Ah, Do you feel like so much of it is just, I mean, I know you've already said, but just our mentality around it and our ideas of, yeah, how things should, should be. Yeah, I think it's the mentality and part of the things that we feel like we can control, we can gain control over that brings us this almost false sense of ease in a moment, which actually creates more frustration because we're reacting. Right, right. I think like I some people, you know, are maybe more prone to be con- like want that control. And I think one of the most freeing things in my life was, and it's been a con- constant process but accepting that I'm really not in control of very much. Um, 
and then deciding what I actually want to be in control of. Because I know so many people, so many moms, women who, my husband too, just women, men, everyone who want to be able to control whatever they can, but then like attempt to kind of stretch what that means, what we're actually capable of. Like, well, I can control this and I can control this and I can control this. Um, but I think it's kind of like, do you think if it's asking yourself, okay, maybe I could control all of these things. Like I could control all the housework. I could control everything at work. I could control the kid's entire schedule. I could control everything, but how much actually matters to me the most? Like how much, you know, where should my energy be going? That type of thing. Right. Deciding for yourself where you want it to be. And I think that's a really great point. And I, I, I think it's part of, I know with when a lot of the moms that I coach myself included, like when you have kids, it's almost the first time where a lot of this, your life that you could control is it starts to become more, you know, you see more, it's more out of your control. You can't control your kids behaviors or their responses or their reactions. And we attempt to, right? We threaten, we scream, we, we're like, how can I shape this into to what I want it to look like? And I have an example of this. Like my son is more, my six and a half year old. He's in first grade. He's like more on the active sensory seeking like side. Like he is like a go, go, go kid. And part of my background with as a speech therapist is I, I, I knew what this type of kid was. But I, it still didn't make it easy. Like, it's not like it made it like, okay, I got this. Like, no, right? It was a, it was a really big and continues to be more of, um, a, not a hurdle, but something I need to work on with myself and how I can be the best parent for him because I can't, part of this is who he is. And I'm not going to change him or shift him into a kid who is not like that, who sits and, you know, maybe plays Legos for an hour on his own and builds these things or this idea of what I think it should be. So what I've decided to do, what I've been working on is how can I sort of partner with him or be his advocate or be, while accepting who he is, making sure that he, when he's in school or when he's at these other activities, that he can experience it in a way that works best for who he is instead of trying to control or change him, if that makes sense. Oh, totally. I love that. That's I homeschooled my kids for the first five ish years. Um, largely because I wanted that. I'm like, I really want them to have a good idea of who they are and know that that's okay. Yeah. Uh, I Cause I think we all, maybe not all of us, but a lot of us grew up um, kind of having people say, you know, if you're not the sit still kid, you need to be the sit still kid, you know, having that, that put on us. And I realized raising my kids, especially the ones, the time, the parts of them that I see that are a lot like me, the parts of me that were always there that were, I was told were not okay. You know, I kind of had to give myself permission for them to be okay in order for them to be okay for my children. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. My, my daughter being really verbal and, you know, fighting her point, not being rude necessarily, but speaking up for herself. You know, I used to be so quick to want to shut that down in her, which I realized was shut down in me, which made I'm like, dang, I have to change myself. I'm like so much work to kind of shift those narratives we have about how they should be. Yes. You know? Yes. And releasing the control over what it should look like. Yeah. It's tough. <laughs> it is a so, journey. <laughs> oh my gosh. 100%. So do you feel like, were you kind of like this, the, 
the, you know, can't sit still kid or were you more of like the calm kid? And that's why, you know, it just seems like such a tough thing. I think I was more, I was more the calm kid, but it's also the societal expectations of what kids should look like, you know, when it was, you know, he was three years old, soccer class. I use air quotations because it's, you know, three years old (laughs) and all the other kids are sitting and listening or doing some of the drills and he was running around the periphery. It's that idea of, again, the expectation of what it should look like, other people's opinions, what am I doing something wrong or what what is something wrong with him? Like all of that, being able to recognize that and soothe myself and also get him the supports that he needs, right? But I, I think for me, it was more that societal comparison expectation. And I see that for a lot of my clients too, other kids should, other kids are, I go into this home, I had a client who has um, two boys and she told me, she's like, after school, it's complete madness. Everyone's running around, it's screaming, lots of energy. And she's like, I went to my friend's house to get some milk right after school. And all three of her kids, she has one more than me and they're all just so quiet. And it made her wonder, is there something wrong again with my kids? Why can't my house look like that? A little bit of that jealousy or I wanting it to be like it. Versus recognizing these are these are my kids. This part of again, it shouldn't be. It doesn't need to be a circus. We can have some expectations and boundaries, and but my kids have and my kids need something different. They are different than this other family and these kids. And that's that okay. okay. That's okay. Yeah. Yes, and that it's okay. I think such a big thing when you're saying that is, um, I would always make up a story about what other people were thinking. Like if my kid was the one running around the soccer field, I would be like, other people think I'm a bad mom. Other people think this about, you know, but in reality of uh, something I've kind of, at least my brain shift has had to be like, some people might be like, ha look at that kid, you know, like just kind of laugh or some people might enjoy it. Or some people might say, oh my gosh, I'm so glad it's not just my kid that's, you know, behaving that way. Um, and I needed to let go of making up these fake narratives about what everyone around me was thinking. Yes. It's impossible to live up to these fake expectations that nobody really placed on me. Yeah. And I, I love that. And I, I had a client, I think I have so many stories today, but I had a client whose son was playing soccer. He's in like third or fourth grade. It's more of a competitive soccer. They're a little bit older. And I guess he was playing around with his friends afterwards and there was a squirt bottle and they thought that water was in there, but it was actually cleaning fluid. And they squirted it at one of the other kids and it got in his eye. Now the kid's okay, everything's fine. But she saw the other parent, not the parent of the kid who was hurt, but the other parent who was involved react or respond and parent in a certain way. And for her, it was a moment of, should I be responding like that? It was a way that she wouldn't normally, right? It was a way, a, a way that she wouldn't normally parent. And she had this moment of, oh, maybe I should be reacting like that. Maybe that's the right way. And she was able to come back to herself because we had coached together and say, oh no, I know how I respond to this and how I parent and how I talked about, talk about this with him is what is best for my family, right? So it's recognizing in that, in those moments where it can feel like this pressure or how should I be responding or what is the right way of what is right for me and my family and my kid. And this other person's way isn't necessarily the right way. Ah, that's so tough these days. I can't remember. I just had some sort of moment where I heard someone talk about a topic 
um, for the first time. I had never heard that this was going on. You know, we have so much stuff happening in our world all the time. It was some sort of current event and someone had an opinion on it. And it was almost like without thinking, I just was like, oh, that's my opinion to you. We just kind of like take on, I guess that's how I feel about it. And more and more I've had to like, stop, like she, like you said, like she did and go, is that really how I feel about it? Do I have enough information to feel about, you know, to respond that same way or to act that same way? Um, but it's so tough. I feel like today when the outside world can be so noisy and so busy, you know, because I mean, that example of a, a soccer game is, is maybe simpler, but it can be, it sounds like a chaotic moment. Um, but like you said, when we're scrolling social media and everyone's got a different opinion and everyone's doing it a different way. And you're like, Oh my God, what's my way. You know? Yes. Yes. I actually, right before this, I saw a reel. It was one of those funny and, you know, reels that, and, and basically what he, he was pretending to be this influencer who was, um, saying how he likes his coffee. He was mocking them. And one of his things he said, he's like, I know that you guys can't make any decisions without seeing what I would decide first because you don't trust yourselves. Like essentially that, right? But it's funny, but it's also to your point, what you're saying is I think a huge part of what what we do as, as humans is look to others for what should my opinion be? How should I be responding? What is the quote unquote right way here? Which outsources our own confidence and makes us feel so much more anxious because we're constantly looking outside of us for what we should be doing. And there isn't a, an answer really. Right. In just the simplest form. I was thinking that this morning, again, I can't remember what, I think I was doing my makeup or something. And I was thinking like, wow, I'm proud of myself for just doing this my, my way, but figuring out how to do it my way when, yeah, we're, and especially with Google, it's so quick to be like, tell me the right way to exist. Tell me the right way to human, (laughs) but there's just, it's an impossible thing, you know? Yeah. And there's so much advice. I tell parents this, it's like, if you're looking, you have a baby and you're thinking, should I sleep train or not sleep train? And there's all of this evidence by really smart people with PhDs on the reasons not to sleep train. And then there's all this well-researched information by smart people with PhDs on why to sleep train. So there is experts and people out there giving all sorts of information and advice based on research and best practices that can be competing, which is why and what I do with my private clients is really figuring out who am I, who are who is my family. What are the decisions that I can make based on my values so that I can have my own back in these moments? Yeah. And just, I feel like it's such a practice to just kind of shut out the noise and decide like that worked for you. Um, And I, you know, acknowledge that this research is legit, you know, I'm not denying it, but it's just not working for me. And that's, I thought about that when we were talking about um, you know, the, when kids were coming in and things, I remember telling one of my girlfriends and I said, I've gotten better about letting things go. When I had a second baby, like, um, when I met my husband, he had two girls and then we've had two together. So when I had my second baby, my son, part of me kind of went, Oh man, I have to let go or I'm going to lose it. Like I have to let go of certain things. It kind of made me more laid back. It was like, I can't control the mess as much and I can't control this. It's just going to have to be less. And I told my girlfriend that I was like, Oh my gosh, once you have a second one, 
it just, you know, it just forces you to let go. You just have to. And she had a second one was like, no, now I just have one more thing that I have to super control, you know? And I apologize. I was like, sorry, (laughs) sorry that I steered you in the wrong direction. I guess we're not all the same, you know? Oops, my bad. Yeah. Sorry about that. (laughs) Um, She's getting a grip on things and learning to let go now, but it's, it's so funny. And I think just giving ourselves permission to be different. Yeah. Everyone else. Yeah. Yes. And how that actually is what helps increase your confidence and your self-assuredness and your decision-making skills versus the outsourcing and the phoning 500 friends. It's okay, right? It's okay to get advice or talk to someone, but bringing it back to what is, what do I, what is, who are we and what is best for us? Yeah, absolutely. So do you have like, um, you know, I don't know if I want to say like favorite ways or like top things that people that you've worked with. I know we've talked about housework and things like that, but are there other areas that you see pop up where people kind of have to practice that minimum enoughness? Um, I know we've covered a lot, but yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I, a lot. So what I work with a lot of moms who are yelling at their kids, right? They just can't control their reactions. And a huge part of it, a huge piece of it is their opinions or what they're doing themselves, right? So if they're trying to get their kids out the door in the morning, but they're thinking about the email they have to send to their boss, their doctor appointment they have to get to later, all the have to, all these things, that's going to bring them up to a point where if their kid isn't putting on their shoes, they're more likely to react. So when we talk about a minimum enoughness, I'm using it in the areas where the moms that I work with are, are, are as one strategy to help work on that when, when they are reacting the most, when they are feeling the most overwhelmed, where they are feeling the most angst. So that could be in the morning, that could be at work, that could be housework. It could be so many different things. Oh man. I just feel so much. Like I feel it in my whole body. And that's, I think such a big thing. I love that the conversation around like yelling at your kids is coming out more and more. Um, because I'm, I've been a parent longer than a lot of my friends have. And I know I've had girlfriends come to me very like full of shame, feeling vulnerable. And I, I would never be this mom's So I admire them for even saying like, I yelled at my kids. And then my friend said, you know, like, I think she slapped her daughter's hand and she was like, have you guys ever slapped your kids? Like she just felt so much guilt and so much shame. And I'm so glad that the conversation's opening up about it because working to not yell at my kids was a very difficult thing. Very difficult. Not only because that was what I, how I was raised, you know, with a lot of yelling and a lot of screaming, but also like you said, because I had so much bubbling up inside of me from yeah, you're probably right. A lot of it was probably stuff that didn't need to even be bubbling up in the first place. Yeah. And it's, you know, a huge part of it, which is why I say a piece part of my um, work as the nervous system practitioner is part of this is the mindset, right? Is the stories that we are telling ourselves, but a huge part of it is also the physicality of what we're feeling in the moment. Because before we yell, we, you know, there is that 
chest clenching, jaw tightening, so many other things physically, right? The heat building, other things physically happening, right? Can be, again, our own childhood, how we were responded to, what like we're feeling. There's so many things associated with it. So it's learning, you know, again, another, this could be a whole other conversation, but it's how can I respond to myself to be able to, and when I say like, you don't have to be like, I say, you don't have to be calm, Zen master mom. That's not the goal. It's how can I be, learn to be in control of, of myself in those most stressful situations to respond how I want versus reacting to what's happening. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, so do you feel like, uh, when you're saying the Zen master come to, like, um, people always say, you know, like take a few deep breaths. Do you think that always works? Are there certain ways you're supposed to deep breath or what? No. Right. I mean, that's something, I mean, right. Like it depends. Like there are like, for me, there are moments when my, the chaos is happening around me and I'm just like, what do I want to do here? How do I want to respond? What is my goal? Right. I can, I can use that to decide how I want to be in control here. But no, I mean, everyone's like, take a few deep breaths. And you're like, I'm taking a few deep breaths and I'm still ready to roar. Right. I'm like, yeah. it's not helping. I so that's what sometimes it almost feels like you're like, <laughs> just adding the fuel to the fire. Yes. 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 So I think the first, if you are one of those moms who is, tries to take a few deep breaths and it doesn't work, there's nothing wrong with you. I, what the way I work with moms is identifying, it's like a lot of out of the moment work. It's thinking about the situations that are triggering you, digging in deep, what, figuring out what is the story around it? How can I shift the story? What are some other strategies? And then in the moment, I have an emotional management framework. And one of the tools, the first step is that a freeze. I call it the Ferris Bueller freeze. If you've ever seen the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off, you know how he like talks to the camera. Oh, yes. Okay. Okay. He like talks to the camera and everything else around him freezes. Yeah. So I like, okay, Ferris Bueller freeze. In this most stressful moment, like you're don't yell at your kids. Don't tell, don't do, don't do that thing that your body's telling you to do. Just freeze. Just freeze Ferris Bueller. Let it happen. And then the next step is to label the the emotion that you're feeling. I am feeling frustrated. You can say it out loud. You can say it to yourself. It just brings you, it creates that pause and that space away from here's what's happening. Here's here's how I'm feeling. And then it gives you space. The The next parts are diffuse and decide to figure out what is it that I want to do here. And whether you need, you know, I need a hot second. If your kids are old enough, mommy's just going to go to the bathroom for a minute. I'll be right back. I'm going to calm my body down. Um, There's a bunch of different, depending on the situation and how old your kids are, things that you can do and even out of the moment to prepare, prepare for those in the moment situations. Yeah. And so that's what I like that you said that because I was thinking that. And like a lot of times, uh, if I think about like my evolution as a mom, when I was pregnant with my first and I was raising our other daughter at home. I remember I would get so frustrated with her and it was usually me. It was my frustration, but I never wanted to be the yell mom. I never wanted to be unkind to her. So I would just kind of stay silent, but I would just let it bottle up more Yeah. versus walking away from my kids. Now I can say like, I need a break. And I, I can tell my kids, give, give me a mommy timeout. I need this space. Uh, 
and can kind of talk myself down versus just hanging on to it, you know? Right. The energy needs to go somewhere. And I think that happens a lot. We hold it in, we hold it in, we hold it in, and then we blow because yeah. we're not addressing, you're just sort of like, which is what how a lot of us grew up probably like pushing it down. Like, okay, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine until I'm not versus the recognition, the addressing, like, of course, like so many other moms are experiencing this right now. Of course, I'm feeling frustrated. This is a really frustrating moment. I'm going to figure out how I want to cope with it and how I want to deal with it. Ah, but I love, like you said, you know, maybe you say I'm frustrated out loud, working to, in a healthy way, not just being like, I'm so pissed off at you, you know, that kind of thing, but going, uh, guys, I'll, like, and my, of course my kids are 12 and 13 now, but I've been working at this with them the last few years and verbalizing my emotions, especially because my son is not great at connecting to his emotions. He knows he's not feeling great, but he struggles to find the emotion or the word or, you know, and I feel like the more that I've been open with them, like, guys, I'm feeling so frustrated right now, you know, got this going, you know, maybe in co- the kindest possible way I can muster ex- explaining to them what's going on has given them the tools to do that right back to me. You know, like you're make no mom, this is making me feel embarrassed. I'm feeling embarrassed or I'm feeling really frustrated. I'm feeling angry about this, you know? Um, cause I'm all about, like you were saying communication. Um, I'm going to ramble for a quick second. I, communication. When you were saying that earlier, now it's coming back to me. I always remember as a kid watching every like movie and TV show that we grew up seeing And I hated so much that every single like plot point problem was like lack of communication every time. Like the man's really in love with her, but he just doesn't tell her. So he watches her marry someone else. I'm like, just say that, damn, it's so frustrating. So communication is just key for me. So I absolutely love that. I love that you brought that up. And that's so true, right? Every plot point, it's like, why didn't you just tell her? Why didn't you just say it? Um, And I love that you bring that up with your kids because what a lot of my clients do too is the more that they're able to recognize and talk about how they're feeling. And one of the ways that I coach my clients to do this is it doesn't always have to be in relation to your kids. Like for example, for me, the other week, like we, we, I love having my eggs for breakfast. It's part of my routine. It just like gets my day started. And we were out of eggs. Like we did not have eggs. And I was so annoyed and like part of me wanted to blame my husband, right? I was like, so there. And I saw my kids sitting there and I was like, okay, this is like, I recognize this could be a really good moment. I was like, oh, we don't have any eggs. I'm feeling really frustrated because I really wanted eggs today. It sets my morning up. Like I don't feel good when I don't have eggs. I'm feeling frustrated and that's okay. I'm going to go to the store later and get eggs. I will just have something else and it will be okay. Right. I sort of verbalized that for them, like not about them, but just like a frustrating moment for me. And I think it was a couple weeks later, my son, we didn't have pancakes. We didn't have something he wanted. And I saw him, right. I saw him sort of use that same verbiage where at first he got upset. And then he said, all right, like, okay, like I can have something else where normally that's not his initial reaction. So it does. I love how you're saying that when you are able to verbalize it and work through how you're feeling in a way that isn't reacting to it, that it is the model for our kids to learn how to do the same. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I think a lot of women are auditory processors. So even just like talking through myself, something out loud helps me and helps them. And it's really funny. This is probably just a me story, but I, I worked through the same thing literally yesterday morning. Before we put the kids to bed, before their first day of school, I heard my daughter's yell, like from my daughter's room to my son's room, she yelled something about having donuts for breakfast. And I just went to bed and forgot about it. 
And of course she was getting tucked in, but with dad. So he was saying goodnight to her and she said something about donuts. So then I wake up the next morning and I was like, Oh my gosh, my kids are expecting donuts. And then I'm like, why would my husband say donuts? Like he didn't pick them up. I don't want to have to go pick them. And so when my kids came in, they're like, what are we having? I thought we we're having donuts. I said, that was something that I think dad said. And if dad didn't get the donuts, the donuts aren't happening. Cause I don't want to leave this house with my teeth unbrushed and my no bra on to go get donuts. You know, it, rather than either angrily leaving the house and getting the donuts or just holding resentments and bashing their dad first thing in the morning, just kind of giving that decision to myself. Like I don't have to go to the store. I don't even know that that was something that was promised. Just letting go of the whole idea. I love that. And I love that you didn't, like you said, you decided I'm not going to do it. You didn't just go do it to appease everyone, to avoid a meltdown. You were like, I'm not getting the donuts. Right. And they can be upset about it and that's okay. But like, I'm just, I know that I'm going to be a happier mom. Right. I don't get the donuts and I brush my teeth and I have my morning. And I can literally feel the stress of it in my body because <laughs> it was really difficult. Cause I'm like, first day of school, I should get the donuts. I should have that. I should be the fun mom. I shouldn't be making them <laughs> fruit smoothies versus donuts, but it's just going to have to be good for you. Yeah. Well, good for you too, you know, because food's a big one for me too. So that's kind of funny that you say that about the eggs. Yes. Yes. Well, I know we're kind of winding down on our time here, but this was such a great chat, such an amazing conversation um, and very real that I know so many, so many moms out there can relate to everything. So thank you so much for sharing all of your words of wisdom. If anyone wants to continue connecting with you, uh, where can they do that? Yeah, you can come hang out with me on Instagram at stephanie.rosenfield. Um, I have a podcast called The 5-Minute Shift for Moms. So quick five-minute tips that like are easily implementable, quick, to the point. And then I also have a webpage where you can find free resources or sign up for a free consult. It's stephaniercoaching.com backslash consult. And there's lots of fun things there. Oh, I love it. The five minutes sounds perfect. So yes. <laughs> thank you so much, Stephanie, for hanging out today. Thank you for having me, Renee. This was so fun. Hey again. Thanks so much for hanging out with me today on the Unstuffed Podcast. It means so much that you chose to carve out some of your precious time just to hang out with me. If you aren't quite ready for our time to end, head to the show notes where you can grab my free declutter checklist, join my newsletter subscription, and connect with me on some of your favorite social platforms. Sending you so much love. Until next time.